just things for me. Hello podcast legends, my name is Ben Greenwood, I'm the Off-Road Performance Coach. This podcast is to share with you how we do things at Race Ready Off-Road Coaching. If you want to be a beast on and off the dirt bike, you've certainly come to the right place. It's December already, would you believe it? The year is nearly over. However, the start of a month, start of a new month, always means listener Q&A podcast. So we've got a few great questions this month which I'm looking forward to digging into. I actually love these episodes because I don't have to think about coming up with a topic. Um, People just send in the questions and I just answer them, which is way easier than having to think of something to come up with. So (laughs) looking forward to getting into these ones. A couple of little housekeeping things first off. I get heaps of people asking me when my hydration supplement is going to be coming out. The short answer is it's not. It's on the back burner. I've had not had to put it on the back burner, but it's on the back burner because I had like a a friend sort of doing me a little bit of a favor with the production of it. So my, as it was a little bit of a favor, as these things do, you I kind of get kept getting put back to the back of the line. So I've just decided to leave it for a little while. I had a good mentor. Uh, mentioned to me that you're like you're much better off focusing on one thing rather than trying to get another thing off the ground which I feel like that's where I'm at I need to really focus or I want to really focus on my business and growing that Uh, I feel like the supplement thing is almost like a business of its own if you really want to do it properly which I would want to do I don't want to half-ass it I want it to be good Um, so that's going to take a lot of energy. So it will come one day. It's not coming anytime soon though. So that's that. Um, the merch pre-order too had a little bit of a hold up in the production line. So I'm not going to do the pre-order until after Christmas because I can't guarantee. I just don't think we'll be able to, to, to deliver on it by Christmas. So I don't want people to order them and pay for them and, not be able to get them for a couple of months until after Christmas. So I'm just going to wait. We're going to do the pre-order after Christmas and we're also working on a couple other cool items which we'll be able to add to it as well outside of just the the tees and the hoodies. So that's it for housekeeping. Get stuck into these questions. We've got a few good ones. Um, Some training ones which we'll get to at the end which we'll be able to share uh, some, some good value for you all. The first couple are kind of more just my opinion on a couple of things i suppose which not everyone will agree with but again it's just my opinion don't have to agree with it so first one is the differences between motocross and off-road on the body and the requirements of fitness and strength so this is a really interesting question i I think about this a lot actually because obviously i'm a big strength guy like i always bang on about how important getting really strong is and I, I, I'll stand by that till the day I die when it comes to off-road racing. But I always think about this, and I had a, a client mention it to me today, actually, believe it or not, but he races motocross. You can have like a 
14, 15 year old kid on a 125 or a 250F, that is like a freak of nature in terms of the level of skill they have on a dirt bike. And they can ride at a like crazy high level, like really fast. Their speed can be through the roof. So you can go really fast. Like the, the defining factor of what allows us to go fast on a dirt bike is our speed. Oh, sorry, our skill. It's a it's a skill specific sport. So you can be like have low level of fitness, low level of strength, but you can go really fast on a dirt bike. You're probably just not going to be able to do it for very long. And that's the thing with juniors. Like most of their races are ten minutes. They might get when they go to a state title or a, a national, they might get fifteen or twenty at the high end. Like most of their races are ten, fifteen minutes. So it's pretty short. So they can go balls to the wall for that duration. They're not very strong in relatively speaking to an adult, to like a, a 25-year-old dude who's been training and, and is super strong. But they don't necessarily have to be super strong to go fast for a short duration for 10 minutes on a track that's probably not that rough. Junior tracks don't get rough compared to what, a senior track would on a 30-minute moto or an off-road track would. So, I, and that's where I kind of, not to say that you don't have to be strong to race motocross because you do. And if you look at the high, I guess like the the, the top of the top, like AMA motocross, 30-minute, 30 35-minute motos on gnarly, fast, rough tracks, the strongest riders win. Like, who are the fastest guys right now? You got Eli, Jet, Chase, um, Kenny. Like, they're the four. There's probably a couple others, but like they're the four main dudes who have, like, done really well over the last few years in motocross. They're strong, right? Like, even Jet. You look at Jet beside Hunter. Hunter looks frail to me. He looks like he's underdone to me like in a in a muscular sense and strength like jet in the last 12 18 months i feel like has filled out and he's got much more of a muscular physique than he used to obviously because he's so young like he's he's going through that that phase of all his hormones kicking in and obviously training and whereas hunter doesn't seem to have that much muscular definition to me so it'll be interesting to see how Hunter goes this year on the on the 450. Um, but again, anyway, to my point, in a moat at the highest level of motocross, when they're going for 35 minutes on a gnarly track that's rough and fast, the the strongest riders win. So strength is definitely important in motocross. I feel like you can get away with lower levels of strength in motocross, though. You've got to have when it comes to motocross versus off-road, you've for both of them, you've got to have like a high level of aer- aerobic base yeah, or a, like a high capacity with, it, with your aerobic engine. Like that basically just dictates how fast you can go. Once you get like over 15 minutes, you're going like 30-minute motos, a two-hour hair scramble, a three-hour hair scramble, a four-hour hair scramble. The speed that you can maintain, your intensity basically just comes down to how 
good your aerobic capacity is. You can't go over your threshold. As soon as you go over your threshold, you're going to start going backwards. You're going to gas out. So the higher our aerobic capacity is, the faster speed, the higher intensity we can maintain. Now, to be able to do that for three or four hours, you need to be strong because every time you hit a bump, the rougher the track gets, it's taxing your body. The stronger you are, the less it taxes your body, the easier it is for you to do. So again, like if you take the 14-year-old kid as an example who's doing 10-minute moto at like full send, you extrapolate that out over four hours, That like at a race like Hatter where it's rough, that kid is not going to win Hatter. That kid is going to be like a wet tea towel flapping off the back of the bike after the after the first lap, in all honesty, but all after like like the two-hour mark. So we need, for both of them, we need to be strong. For both of them, we need to have a really high aerobic capacity. But I feel like more strength, being stronger will pay more dividends when, you, when you're racing your dirt bike for three, four hours and when the track gets really rough. It's not going to be as your strength won't come into play as much when the track is smooth. But the rougher it gets, the gnarlier it gets, the more your strength will favor you. So you just need to be working on both. The other thing that I always, that I think about too is, and I'm, I'm open to being wrong on this, but <laughs> if someone wants to call me out on this, they can, but if we look at the law of averages, like on it, and obviously I'm in Australia, so I'm not in America, but from speaking to my clients who are over there, like Stu, Stu's obviously an example. He's a big dude. He's not a small dude. So he's solid. He's pretty tall as well. From speaking to him and some of my other clients, like most of the guys, from what I understand over there in the GNCC anyway, are pretty tall guys. Like your Ben Kelly's, your Johnny Girard, they're... Uh, Ricky Russell like they're pretty tall dudes think about Australia off-road who's dominated in Australian off-road we go back to Grabo he's pretty tall next was Toby Price Toby Price pretty tall it's pretty common knowledge that he's not the fittest bloke in the world doesn't do a whole lot of like he's obviously doing some training off the bike but he's not the fittest specimen you'll ever see but he's a fucking animal on a dirt bike then after him in AORCs, it was Milner. Milner's pretty tall, and he's obviously still at the pointy end of the field. You've got guys like Cal, Norton, um, Todd Waters. So there's lots of guys in off-road who dominate, who do really, well, not necessarily dominate, but who do well, who are big, who are tall. So when you're tall you got longer levers. Like I'm only, I'm just over 170 centimeters, so I'm pretty short. So if someone's like six foot two, six foot three, six and a half foot, even six foot, like your your femurs, your torso, your arms are longer than mine. So for you to move on the dirt bike, to move your center of mass, to get the dirt bike to do what you want it to do, to give it the input that it needs, you don't have to move your body as far as I would have to move it to shift my mass that far to give to change the, the the balance of the chassis so potentially if you're a taller dude you can be 
a little bit more efficient on the bike is what I'm getting at. So if you're shorter, like me, you're probably going to have to be stronger pound for pound, like relatively to your own body weight to be able to be as efficient on the bike as a taller person. Like look at um, Zach Osborne. I know he's not, you could, there'll be plenty of people who say that he's not that good a rider in comparatively to someone like Jet Lawrence, but the dude won a fucking Supercross championship. The dude won a 450 outdoor touch championship. So like he can ride a freaking bike, right? He's short as shit. Got absolutely decimated at the GNCCs this year and he's packed it up. He's not coming back. So... I'm not saying you can't win a GNCC or you can't win off-road races being short. I'm just saying it like to me, if you look at the law of averages, it lends itself being like being able to ride your dirt bike for hours and hours and hours at a high intensity lends itself to being a bigger person. It's going to be easier for you to do it if you're bigger. And again, if you're smaller like me or Zach Osborne, (laughs) you're going to have to be stronger, relatively speaking, to your body weight to be as efficient as you can possibly be on the dirt bike. So that's my thoughts on that. Again, if anyone wants to point out to me some short asses that have done really good in off-road racing, I'd be in like more endurance type, like cross countries, your three, four hour long races. I'd be open to hearing about it. But like I say, that's just, maybe that's my bias. I'm, I'm confirmation biasing myself into that, but <laughs> I feel like, like especially in Australia anyway, like a lot of the dudes that have excelled in off-road racing are tall guys. So yeah, that's just my thought on that. So the next one was kind of a similar topic, breaking down the different riding styles of the top off-road riders in Australia. So I couldn't really comment on every rider Honestly, like I've only been watching the racing more recently, like the last sort of, I guess, post-COVID started going to the races more regularly. So for the last sort of three, three, four years. So if we're talking about riding styles, we're not, style is different to technique. I feel like, like your technique Two riders can have similar, or the, can be can have the same technique. They can be doing the exact same thing in terms of their footwork, their attack position, etc. But they can look very different. They can have a very different style on the dirt bike. So, style is very individual to the person, and so I feel like you techniques obviously important, super important, but you develop your own riding style on top of your technique so and that's what's cool about riding dirt bikes because it's it is an individual sport and it's almost like an art form like you get to create your own version of riding dirt bike so everyone has their own style so if i was to break it down like probably the most outstanding thing to me that i've i've noticed particularly at the four day at erica was how different someone like kyron bacon is to someone like even josh green who was his teammate who's has a reasonably smooth riding style i would say 
and compared to Andy Wilkes or Riley McGilvray. So they're both really smooth, really smooth riding styles. They are aggressive though when they want to be or when they need to be. So you look at any pro rider ride at that level, like they're aggressive on the throttle. When they've come out of a corner and they want to make up time on the track, like they're super aggressive on the throttle. But you can be aggressive and also smooth at the same time. For someone like Kyron is way more loose. He's way more like that sort of Hayden Deegan style where it's a little bit looser and like more aggressive. But I think that lends itself to a 250F. If you ride in 250F, you can get away with being a bit looser, a lot more aggressive on the throttle. Um, so I feel like that that's not going to work. That riding style, that looser riding style and more aggressive riding style is not going to work that well on a 450 you could definitely get away with it in certain situations like potentially in the sand when you can be a little bit looser in the sand and a bit more aggressive but when it's more technical and maybe sketchy like if you ride a 450 like that like it can bite you so it'd be interesting to see uh how or if Kyron Bacon's style changes when he when he does step onto a 450. If he does smooth things out a little bit, or whether he just goes keeps swinging off it, I don't think he's. From what I understand, anyway, I think he's riding a 250 again. Personally, I believe like unless you're a big dude, I think for racing the AORCs and the VOSCs, I honestly believe you'd be better off on a small ball bike. Personally. Obviously, in an event like Hatter or something like that, you want to be on a 450 every day. But for the majority of the races we have in AORCs and VORCs in Australia, I personally believe a 250 would be a better bike for most people. Like, obviously, if you're a massive dude, that may not be the case. But, um, but yeah, I guess that would be... Like I say, they're all aggressive. Like you watch it, even Andy, Riley, like they're pretty smooth, but they're also aggressive. You can be aggressive and smooth at the same time without being like crazy loose. They just carry momentum. Um, that's what I would say. Like they're, if you watch, like you watch Andy and Riley, they're guys like that. They're two that I've watched a lot, obviously at the Vic Off-Roads. Um, they're you can hardly hear their bike when they're going around a corner like when they're in the corner when they're they're rolling into the turn they go through the mid turn they're barely on the throttle and then as soon as they get that bike starts to straighten up and they're on come exiting the turn they're like hyper aggressive on the throttle like they're opening that thing up but their mid turn they're very calm and very calculated. It doesn't mean they're going slow because they don't brake as hard as a normal rider would. They brake less, so they carry more roll speed. They're less aggressive. They don't have to be aggressive in the middle of the turn. They just roll, have like quarter throttle, just bore, and then as soon as they can get more aggressive, that's when they become more aggressive. It's, it's 
when you watch that and then you watch like a mid-pack expert rider come around, it's just ah, rah, 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 hidden limiter everywhere. But they're like, dude, you sound like you're going so fast, but you're not. You're going slow. So that's the biggest thing that stand, stands out for me watching riding styles at off-road races is those guys that are up the front don't always look like they're going that fast and don't always sound like they're going that fast. When especially around corners, which everyone knows that's where you make up your time is around corners. Anyone can hold the thing pinned down a straight, but where you make up your time around a track is in the corners. So they're really good at carrying roll speed and being calculated in the turns. So they carry roll speed, but they're not overly aggressive. So they don't have to over brake. They don't lose traction when they're when the bike's getting unsettled, stepping out. They're just very calm, very calculated, and very smooth until they know they can be aggressive, and that's when they're aggressive. That's when they hit the throttle hard. So, yeah, that would be my little breakdown, which is pretty minimal, really, of <laughs> off-road riders in Australia. So, we'll get into some more training-related questions. This first one was around nutrition. Nutrition and hydration for long enduros. So I just had to dig a little bit deeper into this one uh, with this particular guy. And he said he was really interested in how to approach a race, his race day nutrition plan, specifically keeping up on carbs and electrolytes throughout a race that's longer than two hours. So pretty simple. Number one starts with your breakfast in the morning. This is talking about race day. Like even to think before that, like it really matters what you've been eating through the week. So it comes down to having your day-to-day nutrition, like what you're eating day in, day out. You need to have that dialed as well. So at the end of the day, it just come and comes down to eating enough to support your energy output and having the balance of your protein, carbs, and fats. Right. If you've got that dialed, the two to three days before a race, you're not going to be doing a hard training session. So if you just ate the same amount of food that you would normally eat on a day when you train, then you'll probably be in a little bit of a surplus those couple of days. So you should be your glycogen stores should be topped off. You don't have to go like crazy with the amount of carbs you would eat the days before. You just want to be having enough, essentially. Then comes to race day. Breakfast on race day, we want it to be high carb, serve a protein in there. And then it just comes down to how close it is to your race. If you've got three hours or more, you can pretty much have, like you can have some fats and fiber in that breakfast and be completely fine. Fats and fiber just slow down your digestion. It takes a little bit longer to digest if you're having fats or a high amount of fiber in there. If you've got three hours though, like three hours is enough time to basically digest any meal in three hours. If your race is closer than three hours, you definitely want to be aware of that and and keep the, the fats and the fiber on the low end and focus on more simple types of carbs that are easier to, to digest. Now, the other big thing is this needs to be something that you've tested. You don't want to go to a race and be like, oh, haven't had my race day breakfast since I raced last time six months ago. So you're going to try, you're going to have something completely different than what you've had every other day of the week. That's not how you want to roll on race day. You want to 
have something very similar to what you normally have on a normal morning. If it's going to be different, you want to you wanna have tested it. So when you go do your motos on the weekend, have the exact thing that you plan on having on race day and try and time it. If you can like roughly time it to the same time that you will eat it on race day and have that time between eating it and getting on the bike and doing your motos, then you're just following a process. You're not trying anything. You're not guessing. It's just like, okay, I know what I need to do. Just got to do it. So that being said, the breakfast needs to be high carb, serve protein. Then if you have time, if it's a cross country race, if it's sprints, you're probably just going to have your breakfast and you're going to get on the bike and go within a couple of hours. If it's a cross country race, you might have time to have another meal in between or a snack. So if say like it's pretty common in Victoria here anyway, that a cross country race would start at lunchtime. So if you had your breakfast at seven o'clock, you could then have another snack at around about uh, even 10, like three hours after that breakfast, you could have like a high carb snack. Anywhere in that window, like from two hours, 60 minutes, even up to 30 minutes before the race, you want to just in that time window, you want to be having something that's just basically carbs especially the closer you get to the start of the race. So you can have your breakfast, which is high carbs with a server protein. Then you, if you can fit in a high carb snack before your race, just to ensure that your glycogen stores are topped off, that's going to mean you, you fueled up. Then obviously you want to be hydrating before that too. Hydration, uh, electrolytes all through the morning. Then once you get into the race, I'm a big fan of running a hydration powder in your hyd- uh, sorry, a, yeah, like a hydration mix uh, powder in your hydration pack. We want to be hitting 250 calories and a and a thousand milligrams of sodium roundabout per hour. I like doing it that way. So then every time you have a sip from the get go, you you're having calories and electrolytes coming into the system. The main thing is we want to be front-loading that energy. We don't want to ever get to the point where, one, we're either thirsty, two, we're fatigued, or we feel like we're, we're tanking out and we're losing energy. That's going to be very, very hard to come back from. You're going to be chasing your tail. So having hydration mix in your hydration pack, every time you have a sip from the start of the race, you're getting some calories, you're getting some electrolytes in. So if you can hit that amount, roughly speaking, per hour then if you need to you can top up with a gel um, some electrolytes whatever that looks like when you do your pit stops i know in the states it's pretty popular to run pit bottles that's not as popular in australia so normally in australia we, we would run a hydration pack and then when you have your pit stop you'll obviously you've got an opportunity then to grab something as well so it's basically just figuring out how many calories and how much sodium you want you plan on taking in for the race and then spreading that out across the three hours if it's a three-hour race. Like, okay, I've got to get this many calories in, this amount of sodium, and this amount of water. That's my strategy. How can I spread that out over the three hours? That's the main thing. 
you don't want to get to the end of the race and still have a hydration pack that's half full and you finally drank half of it. So that's the main things, figuring it out and then making sure you drink it. You've got to hit it. Whichever way you go, whether you decide to do bottles in the pits or you, you do a hydration pack or however you come at it, you've got to make sure that you have it. Even, even gels at pit stops. Like it's super common people will have a gel and they only have half of it. Like they're in a rush, they start losing their shit in the pits, give me the fucking gel and then they like grab half of it or a quarter of it and throw it away, get on the bike and go in a rush. That's not going to end well. You're gonna, you, you'll end up tanking at the end of the race. My point is like whichever way you choose to run it, you've got to make sure that you're actually getting it in. Take Like taking an extra five or 10 seconds in your pit stop to just calm down a little bit and make sure you either drink it or you get all of the gel in will pay dividends at the end of the race when you want to put down a heater on the last lap. Because you're going to be completely... Like your glycogen stores are completely gone at the end of a three-hour race. You're relying on what is coming in from your nutrition at that point. So if it hasn't been enough in the first two and a half hours of the race, if you haven't got enough in and you want to lay down a heater on the last lap to try and pass someone, you're going to struggle very, very hard, even if you have a gel or whatever, because again, you'll be chasing your tail. So we want to be in front of that. So they would be my biggest tips. There, on the... On the nutrition it's just trial and error like it's everyone's a little bit different there's no perfect way to do it i've seen it all work it just depends what works for you from trial and error it really just comes down to strategizing that out your amounts figure out exactly your your amounts that you want and then strategizing that out to get them in over the duration of the race that's it Next one was thoughts on swimming to improve moto fitness. I'm five or six weeks in and I've noticed I have better control over my breathing and I feel calmer when in an intense workout or on my moto as well as my overall fitness has improved. So my thoughts on swimming to improve moto fitness, I would say it's great. Um, it's obviously low impact, so it's easy, going to be very easy on the joints. And obviously, like this guy mentioned, awesome for learning to control your breathing. I would say, though, that it's not superior to any other modality when done with the same consistency and the same level of intent. The, the best thing about it is it forces you to be hyper aware of your breathing, like because you literally have to be. If you... If you don't take in enough air or you huff it out too quickly when you're swimming like you can like exhale too much too quickly and you you'll gas out so it forces you to be hyper aware of your breathing am i getting enough air in am i breathing out the right amount of air if you bought that same level of intent with your breathing to any other modality like whether it be running being on a spin bike a rower a salt bike any of them and you did them with the same consistency as what you've done with the swimming over the last five to six weeks, I'd say you'd most likely get pretty similar benefits. That would be my guess anyway. And it, that could be a, a cool little uh, experiment you could potentially do for yourself is just test it out. If you've been swimming three times a week, um, maybe try doing that amount 
uh, on another modality for six weeks. Uh, and again, it's the intent. Like, obviously, fitness needs to be fun and social as well. But you can like go out for a mountain bike ride with the with your buddies or a road cycle or whatever, and just end up talking shit the whole time and you're not really breathing properly. Like anytime you're talking, you're going to probably gas out a little or be not breathing as deeply and as well as you could if you were focused on it. So that's one thing I always focus on when I go on my mountain bike rides, especially on the climbs when you're putting in up a climb is really like controlling and being aware of how I'm breathing. So again, that's just something you could try like i say i don't think it's superior the thing for me with swimming is it's a very high skill to do it well like to actually be able to go and swim for a decent amount of time like even half an hour um you need to be a pretty freaking good swimmer it's going to take time to develop that skill and i just don't see i don't have many people come to me like i can think of two or three clients that i've got right now um that I program swimming for. And that is only because they've done it their whole life. They're very capable swimmers. They can go to the pool and smash out 30 to 45 minutes um, very easily, very comfortably. So that's how I kind of prescribe it is only ever if someone is already good at it. I wouldn't go out of my way to, to get someone to go and learn how to swim, like I say, because I don't think there's any... Uh, there's any benefit there that we can't get doing anything else. Um, yeah, like anyone can go jump on an assault bike. You don't need any skill to to work out on an assault bike or even a spin bike. Um, it's very easy. The barrier to entry is very, very low. So we can get quick gains there. Swimming, it's going to take a long time or longer time to actually get good enough at it that it's going to... Um, pay dividends flip side of that is again training physical activity it needs to be something that you enjoy so if you enjoy swimming and this guy mentioned that he he got to go and do it with his kids with his family so if that's something that you can go and do with your family and you can get some extra cardio in and you enjoy it you actually enjoy it and you're half decent at it then do it keep doing more of it that's a good thing like anything that you look forward to doing anything that you enjoy doing then it's a good choice for you. Um, at the end of the day, they're all just mean, any modality, it's just a means to an end to, to train the cardiovascular system when we race dirt bikes. Like we're not triathletes, we're not going in running races, we're not trying to be the world's best cyclists. Like we're using it as a tool to develop our aerobic capacity to be better on our dirt bike. So, they're all great. The one that will work the best is the one that you can do the with the most consistency and the most the the highest level of intent. Um, and then obviously like a little bit of variety, getting a little bit of variety in there is good too. Like not just doing the one one same thing all the time. It's good to mix it up so you get in sort of different different stimuluses across your training week. Last one improving pace at flow state so again this one i had to dig a little dig a little bit deeper into with this gentleman he said i guess what i mean is being able to ride and have the intensity and pace that i have once i'm in a flow state 
Maybe it's just a state of mind, but I find the tiredness goes away and I can just keep pushing. But then say I have a crash or a tip over happens, it's hard to get that back, get that flow state back after a heart rate spike. So two main things I would say. One would be like your ability to recover after a heart rate spike will come down to your overall fitness. Like improving your aerobic capacity will allow you to recover quicker. That's one of the massive benefits of improving aerobic capacity is you can have like or do something really intense and get your heart rate way up, like way up in your anaerobic into zone five and 30 to 60 seconds later, you'll be good to go again. You'll be able to hit another. It'll come down very quickly and you'll be able to like keep going. The lower your level of aerobic capacity, it's like if you go over your, your lactate threshold, get up into that zone five heart rate, you it will take you minutes, like long time, five, 10 minutes even longer some, for some people to actually recover and be able to get back to a point where they can maintain output. So that's one simple thing would be improving, which... Like ideally, we're just always doing that. It's like a, it's a moving target. Like if we're racing dirt bikes, we want to, and we're training, um, we're always just, we're trying to improve our strength and our aerobic capacity. Like we're always just trying to progress them as long as best we can. Number two, firstly, I would say like, if you, if you actually know what it feels like to get in flow state, you're probably ahead of, 75% of the people out there, honestly. Like so many people probably don't even know what it's like to get into flow state because they're in their head so much. They're like, fuck, my arms hurt. Fuck, my legs hurt. Fuck, is that guy catching me? Fuck. Am I gonna like am I gonna am I gonna come third? Am I gonna come fifth? Oh, what's everyone gonna think? Like for many people, they get so in their head that they can't even get into flow state on race day so that is the overarching goal if we and personally i believe that is the skill of endurance when the skill of endurance and what allows us to perform at a true potential on race day is being able to get into flow state because like this got this gentleman mentioned maybe it's just a state of mind he said but i find that the tiredness just goes away and i can keep pushing so what that is, the tiredness doesn't go away. When you're in flow state, you just not you do not think about tiredness. The tiredness is there. You're just not thinking about it because you are so in the moment when you're in flow state, you're fully present with where our tires are on the track and that feeling of grip between the tires and the dirt. And the only other thing you might be thinking about is how you're going to lay down a pass on that dude in front of you that you're catching. Or when you're gonna like you're planning some sort of strategic move on that that next dude, the the guy you're chasing down. That's it. You're not thinking my arms. As soon as you start thinking, fuck my hands hurt, fuck my arms hurt. You're done. You're going backwards. You're gonna struggle very hard. So that's what happens to most people is they get in their head, and as soon as you start thinking those thoughts, that's when your brain 
starts telling your body to go slower because we've got to make it to the end of the race and I'm already in pain. I'm already fatiguing. I need to slow down. And that's what happens. So if we can get into that flow state and be free from those thoughts, doesn't mean that you're not hurting. Doesn't mean that your arms don't hurt. Doesn't mean that you, you, your lungs aren't burning or whatever it is. It just means you're not focused on that. You're just focused on the skill of riding a freaking dirt bike, which is what we're there to do. So, again, to circle back, number one would be give yourself a pat on the back because most people don't even ever get that feeling. So, if you know what that feeling feels like, you're probably ahead of most of your competition. So, that's a good thing. Then I would say, if you're feeling like the crashes are happening, then you want to be honest with yourself and figure out why because that would be the first thing would be just don't crash like i know that's easy to say but (laughs) just don't crash like i know shit happens on dirt bikes sometimes but if if this is something that you're feeling like is a common thing and it's it's happening more often than not that you feel really good until you have a crash well then i'd be really figuring out why am i crashing is that a skill thing is that a fitness thing like maybe you are a little bit underdone and, and as you get further through the race you're fatiguing and it's causing you to make these silly little mistakes and crash so that would be the next thing would be working on that then number two would just be you could actually train yourself for that situation and honestly this is not something like that i've done but this is something uh that actually coach rob mentioned to me at one of the coaching schools I did with him years and years ago when he came over to, to Australia. And I've heard of other people doing it as well. Um, but when you're doing your motos, say you're going to do a 30-minute moto, you get to the 20-minute mark, you get off your bike, you put it on the ground, you pick it back up, you put it on the ground, you pick it back up, you put it on the ground. You do that 10 times. You're going to pick your bike up off the ground 10 times. Then you get back on and you keep going and you finish the last 10 minutes of your moto and you practice getting your heart rate back down getting back into the flow and finishing off that moto with the same lap times that you did at the start so that's just a way you can train yourself to be pro again our training is meant to be preparing us for race day so it can prepare us for that situation so they would be my biggest tips there would be one would be figuring out why you're crashing work on that first then two would be doing that in training practice that in training if you know that's something you struggle with then train yourself to get better at it um i'm tipping like both of those things will come back to improving your fitness like improving your fitness is just going to help with all of those things that we've spoken about um so that would just be some things you could try hopefully they're helpful that is it for the questions this month team thank you all that sent in the questions um like i say i enjoy these q a podcasts because i don't have to think too much about them i just have to answer the questions so next one won't come out until the new year we will definitely have another one out uh in january um until then got another couple lined up i'm trying to get the schedule lined up i've got a really one I'm really looking forward to with a a riding technique uh, on bike coach from the USA 
who most of you, I dare say, will probably know. It's probably not the one who comes first, who first comes to mind, but he's legit and he's got some really cool thoughts on writing technique. So we're going to dig deep, uh, take a deep dive into the writing technique and, and I think there'll be some cool stuff in there that'll be of great value to lots of you. So keep an eye out for that one in the coming weeks. Otherwise, I'll keep these episodes coming and thank you again for the support. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you and we will see you on the next episode.